Hi, everybody. This is Kurt Schlichter, and this is the Unredacted Podcast here on Town Hall. The IP. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of great things happening, uh, including World War Freaking Three, because our president is an idiot. Yes, he went out and said, my gosh, we got to get rid of this Putin guy. Who's we, motherfucker? Because I got no intention of going to war to uh, uh, freaking validate whatever shit you got. Putin, not a nice guy. Putin, also not my problem. But you seem to want to make him one. You seem to want some sort of war. There are a lot of guys who seem to want a war. And, and, and they'll tell you, well, I don't want a war. Well, when you're doing everything consistent with having, you know, a war... I, I, I kind of start thinking that, yeah, you do. When someone does things consistent with a certain result, I assume that they mean that result. Now, I'm not saying that Joe Biden isn't too stupid to bumble into uh, a worldwide nuclear conflagration uh, just because he's, you know, borderline moronic. Wait, it, wait, I'm sorry. Exa- that is exactly what I'm saying. I mean, he's exactly capable of that. Did you hear what he said to the airborne paratroopers who were kind of staring at him going, what the fuck? This is our commander in chief here. Dude, dude, give him the uh, give him the hot pepper pizza. See what happens. Uh, he's like, well, you know, you got when I say send you guys to Ukraine. Wait, what? Holy shit. This is not good. This is all bad. This is all very, very bad. Uh, a, a fight with the Soviet Union, and we're going to talk about the war in Ukraine in a little bit. I'm going to give you a little kind of tactical play-by-play on it. Um, war with the Soviet Union is a bad thing. And why is that a bad thing? Well, and I, I may get more into this into a town hall column uh, uh, coming uh, in, the, in the the weeks ahead. Uh, by the way, check out uh, the one for Monday, the 28th of March. It is on why people shouldn't tell Ukraine to surrender. Because there are people who want Ukraine to surrender because this war is becoming a hassle for them, getting in the way of business, making it, uh, you know, cutting into profits, cutting into poll ratings. You know, it'd be a lot easier if those Ukrainians stopped defending themselves. But the the, the article that I'm anticipating is one in which I talk about how it's different fighting a counterinsurgency battle about against guys who have no uh, real fires capability and who have no real aircraft capability and a near peer competitor or a peer competitor who actually can do those things quick quiz and this is for all you military buffs out there and you guys are going to be a little stunned when is the last time that american ground forces came under attack by enemy aircraft when is that last time When's the last time? The last time was sometime in the Korean War. And even then, it wasn't that much. Now, if you want to go back to when we really had ground issues, uh, you've got to go back to World War II. Korea, little tiny bit. Vietnam, none. The North Vietnamese had some planes. It was mostly a fighter battle. They weren't doing ground support. They weren't doing bombing. Um, It's been, you know, well toward uh, rounded up to a century. I mean, it's like 70 some years and uh, we're just not used to it. We're not used to getting shelled in a real consistent fashion. Yes, there there was shelling in Vietnam, obviously, but not the kind of level that we're talking about in a modern war. Look at what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. You see some of the videos and you see a lot of artillery. Russians like artillery. 
uh, artillery has a, a huge effect on you. If you start getting hit with artillery, uh, that's bad. Okay, that really messes with your head, as it should. I mean, they're dropping, you know, 152-millimeter rounds on you, 203-millimeter rounds, big rat rockets, grad rockets, B, uh, BM-21, multiple-launch rockets. You know, it's it's not something our guys are used to. Now, it's obviously something we train for. I trained for that stuff back when I was in the Cold War. Uh, and right after we learned to fight Russians, it was a conventional fight. Our military is now geared for counterinsurgency, where they don't have, you know, artillery battalions that can open up on you. And that kind of changes the, the playing ground. So it is, and I'm, I'm probably might, I may write the, uh, on this in more detail. I haven't decided, you know, some other freaking insanity may come up. Like, I don't know. And this is kooky. Hold on to your hats. Maybe a Supreme Court nominee will testify under oath. She doesn't know what a woman is, which I know sounds crazy, right? That could never, ever happen outside one of my books. By the way, I'm uh, writing the seventh book, Inferno, right now. But anyway, uh, maybe maybe I will write on the subject of what uh, the, the, the problem for our military, which is now an essentially unserious force. You know, diversity is our strength. You know what I'd like our strength to be? Freaking counter-battery fires. I would love that to be our strength. That would be a great strength. I just think that would be a wonderful, wonderful strength. Anyway, um, let's talk about Ukraine. Uh, because there are a lot of people with various ideas of who's winning. Some people say Russians are winning. Some people say Ukrainians are women winning. Uh, there is an argument to be made that it is kind of a tie. Here's the thing. It's pretty obvious what the Russians wanted to do. You just look at a map. They wanted to move very quickly, smash their Ukrainian conventional defenses, surround Kiev, Kharkov, uh, head up from Crimea in the south to meet up with the Donbass folks, form a land bridge across the Black Sea. That's where Marapool is, right? That's city kind of right in the way. Yeah, and then they then you, you go left, reach out to Odessa, you go north, and then you come south from Kharkiv and Kiev and try and trap the Ukrainian conventional forces in the east where they're pinned down against the guys in Donbass, who are not only Russians, but also, you know, local Ukrainians who are fighting for those areas. Most of them are ethnic Russians. So, I mean, you look at Matt, it's very obvious. They would do that, force a political settlement, probably change out the government, no NATO, recognize Russian claims, essentially become a satellite vassal state. That's obviously what the plan was. That was a month ago. That has not happened yet. I don't imagine Putin thought, you know, we'll be fighting this thing for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, two a year, two years. I did not expect I, I would not expect he would have done that if he thought he couldn't have launched a knockout blow. And on paper, he should have been able to. The Ukrainians do not have that great a conventional force. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's okay. We've been working with them for a long time, but it's just not it's just not up to snuff. The Russians had a lot of guys, and we thought they were in really good shape. But were they in really good shape? Uh, by the way, there's rumors that the uh, chief, uh, you know, the uh, chief Russian general has had a heart attack, and he's out of the picture now. Uh, is that what they're calling him these days? 
I don't know if it's true or not, but I wouldn't be surprised because it's pretty obvious this guy was kind of a flunky. He replaced uh, about eight or nine years ago, another general who really wanted to rebuild the uh, Russian military. He wanted to make it leaner, meaner, more effective. And that meant, you know, taking the money that was supposed to go to build up the uh, military and not stealing it and actually putting it into the military. He was stepping on Toskis doing that. And uh, they booed him out and they put this slug in. His name's Shigoyan or some shit like that. I don't remember what his name is. Uh... And he's and that guy, you know, that guy basically went to everything's great. Well, he got rich and his buddies got rich. And it looks like the Russians were star for equipment, star for spare parts, star for maintenance, star for quality training. And it showed. Now, there are a lot of Russians. There were a hundred or 190,000, I think, invaded. And as they say, quantity has a quality all of its own. But that only goes so far, and especially it doesn't it, it doesn't go especially far when it's winter and well actually spring, and the thaw is coming, and everything off the roads is mud, so you're road bound right so your numbers let's go back to uh King Leonidas and this three hundred Spartans. How did 300 Spartans hold off 250,000 Persians? How could, is that possible? Is just that great of fighters? Oh, they were good fighters. No, they were at Thermopylae, which is a very narrow, narrow gate. So when you have a gate that's only, you know, 100 men across, that's 100 men facing 100 men. And if there are 100 really good men featuring 100 not as good men, aren't you kind of on even terms? And that's kind of what happened with the Russians. It neutralized their strength by forcing them to go down roads. Also opened up their backfield to attacks by roving bands of Ukrainian infantry, many of whom had anti-tank weapons and who knew the territory and were fighting for their homes. So you have that advantage. Uh, Russians not particularly well-trained, not particularly well-led, and their equipment, not particularly good. A lot of it wasn't maintained well. Look at the tires. I keep going back to tires. And you guys are like, Kurt, what's you in the tires? Tires tell the tale. If your tires are going flat all the time, you're not doing maintenance. You're not repairing your vehicles. If you're not doing maintenance and you're not repairing your vehicles, you don't have vehicles. So that's why a lot of these things are getting left off the side of the road, because they're just breaking down. The Russians plan relied on swift movement and the quick uh, disintegration of Ukrainian conventional forces. That didn't happen. Okay? That has, that has not happened in the way that you would, uh, or they obviously hoped. The Ukrainians fought better, and they are now counterattacking. They are now coming in from the side, pushing on the Russians where the Russians are weakest. That is sapping their strength. They're no longer pressuring Kiev the same way that they were. And in fact, I have seen reports, and I don't know if they're true or not, because as a, as a smart observer, and you should be a smart observer too, don't believe nothing. All the reports that the Russians are somehow, uh, uh, you know, have decided to culminate and concentrate on building up their forces in the Donbass and the occupied regions may very well be true, but it's really kind of sounds too good to be true. But on the other hand, you know, that, that, that certainly could be true. 
because if you look, they're just not making progress. Now, some people say, well, you know, they captured a town the other day. Okay, yeah. But when I'm talking about progress, I'm not talking about slow grinding, because I don't think that they can maintain the slow grind for very long. All right? Russians have a lot of guys. Yeah. It gives an advantage of the, uh, over Ukrainian conventional forces, but there are 45 million Ukrainians, and you saw them handing out the AK-47s. All right? The Ukrainians are going to get bottomless wells of people. Not particularly well-trained, but a lot of them. And frankly, you don't have to be perfectly trained to start off as a guerrilla. Uh, being a guerrilla is a pretty good training program on its own. Now, a lot of them are going to get killed. I would not be surprised if Ukrainian casualties are much higher than the Russians. But Russian, ca but there are 45 million of them. As for Russians, casualties are thought of as different. If you are Ukrainian, you know, Ivan got killed defending his homeland. That's sad. Someone else take his place. Now, if you are Russian, suddenly it's your Ivan got killed. And it's like, what the fuck's he doing in Ukraine? I don't care about Ukraine. I'm here. I live in, you know, St. Petersburg. Why is, you know, why is my young Ivan fighting in Ukraine? I mean, I don't like the Ukrainians, but this is bullshit. Uh, you just imagine all that in Russia. Casualties for the Russians sap morale. Casualties for the Ukrainians increase it in that they piss the Ukrainians off. Now, understand that dynamic. Let's go back to the terror bombing of the London Blitz. Hitler thought, I will break the, you know, remember what had happened. Dunkirk had just happened. The British forces had been evacuated off the European mainland. France had collapsed. Hitler has your owns Europe right up to the English Channel. And now he wants to cross the channel. And he had a plan. It was called Sea Lion. But he couldn't get past the British fleet. The British fleet was going to protect the island. They send they send Armada across to invade Britain. British fleet's going to come and sink them. Now, of course, the obvious counterplay, because the Germans didn't have the same level of navy, was if we dominate the sky, we will blow the uh, British fleet out of the water. They didn't control the sky. The the Brits contested it. So they had to they had to do something else. They had to break the British will. They had to make the British want to negotiate, perhaps surrender. Now, Churchill and I quote Churchill at length in my Monday, uh, March twenty eight uh, town hall column. You should read it. Uh, Churchill was like, "Now nah, we'll never surrender. We'll fight in the fields. We'll fight on the beaches. We'll fight in the streets. We'll never surrender." Um. Uh, Hitler was like, okay, let's, let's see. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send my bombers over English cities, and I'm going to bomb English cities uh, to break the will of the British people. And he did. You remember Edward Armour, this is London. You know, anti-aircraft and everything. And they bombed London for months. They bombed other cities, burned Coventry. Uh, just horrible bombs. Tens of thousands of uh, British killed made the British more angry. And that's important. When you're trying to break the will of the people, you know, terror bombing, terror artillery, doesn't necessarily do it. Now, the Americans uh, and British end up bombing Germany. They bombed the shit out of Germany. They burned the cities. Dresden, of course, was burned in a firestorm. Uh, that 
did not break the will of the German people. The German people surrendered uh, seven days after Hitler blew his brains out. In Japan, a little different. We were, we were burning down their cities with incendiary attacks. It was the atomic bombs that finally broke them. So, I mean, there is a point that it will break. But in many cases, it just doesn't. It just makes them matter. So you look at the Ukrainians and you see this horrible uh, footage of Ukrainian apartment buildings being leveled. And you hear about uh, various uh, you know civilians being killed and, and stuff. And you're thinking, my gosh, this is terrible. These guys, how can they endure this? Um, people endure this stuff regularly. This is, this is not necessarily unusual. There is a breaking point. I don't know if the Russians can bring them to that. And until you hit that, your casualties don't actually stop you, your civilian casualties. That, that they, they make you matter. The Russian casualties, however, young soldiers, that's a problem because those do seem to have an effect back home. People saying, why, you know, why was young Pator, uh, Why'd he have to be killed with a you know 169th Guards tank regiment uh, in uh, Bubalovsky? Why 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 did my son have to die there? And that becomes a morale problem at home. So it's kind of a different effect, and I'm not sure people fully appreciate that. So who's winning this war? I, well, I mean, yeah, I don't want to be. I don't want to be obtuse, but what is winning? What does winning in this war mean? Winning for the Russians? I think winning for the Russians is an armistice that recognizes some of their territorial gains and gets them political concessions like Ukraine won't be part of NATO and we'll kind of do what we say and is informally within our sphero influence. For Ukrainians... <coughs> What's a win? Is it pushing every Russian out of every inch of Ukrainian soil? I bet there's some Ukrainians saying that. Is it coming to a peace that they can tolerate? It may be that, too. Uh, what's a win for America? What's in America's interest? Is it in our interest for this war to stop? And that's an interesting question. Is it in our interest for the war to stop now with some sort of settlement that recognizes Putin's gains? I, I'm not sure it does. We don't want to recognize Putin's gains. We want Putin to be diminished, both in stature and in combat power. Uh, looks like he's being diminished in combat power. Statute or Stature remains to be seen. But there's a huge economic price on the West for this, a huge one. And um, while gas prices were going up, 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 and didn't have to, because we could have drilled on our own. Uh, the end of that war kind of solves Biden's little conundrum, which is how do I appease the global warming cultists uh, while also allowing drilling that allow more uh, American fossil fuel to balance out the Russian fossil fuel and lower the price because there's more supply. So he's got a problem. And frankly, you know, I don't think Biden would be all that upset if these guys just stopped fighting, even if it's not on like really positive terms for the Ukrainians. Remember, American interests are different than Ukrainian interests, and uh, Biden's interests are different than America's interests. 
you know, some to think about. Anyway, that's my town hall column this week. A little military analysis for you. I want you to uh, listen to my stream of consciousness every Friday. That's uh, that's usually a handful. Read my columns every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I want you to go get on my on locals page where you can find all things Kurt, links to all my columns and stuff, and some great stuff by the people there. I want you to also go get the Kelly Turnbull novels of, uh, you know, the conservative action fiction folks, except it's becoming nonfiction. I, I thought a lot of this stuff was outlandish, and uh, <laughs> I, wow, it ain't. It's, uh, it's just uh, SOP now. Uh, and I also want you to, uh, and this is important, go pre-order my book. We'll be back at The Fallen Rise of America. It's on Regnery, coming out in July. Go get yourself a pre-ordered copy now, because that will own the libs. And uh, I'll be back next week on Unredacted. Bye-bye.